Welcome to this edition of Talking HR with Lori and Lisa, where as always, our goal is to give you a real look at today's HR world through the sharing of experiences, knowledge, and inspiring people practices. I'm your host, Lori Rilkoff. And I'm Lori's co-host, Lisa Fuller. Our guest today is the CEO of CPHR Canada, which is the HR Association in Canada, Anthony Arriganello from CPHR Canada. Actually, Tony is also the CEO and president of CPHR BC and the Yukon, where Lori and I reside. We both have long histories of involvement with the association and know the value of having such a resource available to us as HR professionals. I had the pleasure of serving as a director on the provincial board and being involved in the Central Interior Advisory Council. Welcome, Tony. It's great to have you. Well, thank you very much, Lisa and Laurie. It's really my pleasure to have uh, to be with you today. It's a, indeed a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. You know, Tony, I first got involved with the CPHR, which was known as HRMA back then, as a student representative in university. And I'll date myself if I say much more than that. But I always have given my involvement with CPHR and the networking opportunities that provided me with really kickstarting my career. So I'm very grateful to have had my uh, involvement with the association over the years. I agree. Uh, it's really helped a lot of new HR professionals in the same way, Lori. And among other things, I think Tony is here today to talk about a recent briefing report that he co-authored on the economic responses to COVID-19 by the federal government and provincial governments. And um, I think just the research and the knowledge assistance to us as HR professionals is just so beneficial. So that's what we're here to talk about with Tony today. So, Tony, could you maybe start off for our listeners who may not be aware of CPHR Canada? Can you give an overview of the association and the services it provides? Absolutely, I will. Uh, before I do that, though, I just want to say, uh, you know, what you mentioned about volunteerism and, and the work that you have done for the association and how you've been involved with the association over the years is just remarkable. Uh, when I when I joined the association, I was just amazed how many people devote their time and unpaid time. Let's make sure people know this is truly volunteer effort, whether you're on the board or on a committee or you're participating in events for the association. Uh, you know, CPHR, BC and Yukon is not a, a large group of staff. We just don't have the resources. So we couldn't do what we do if it wasn't for our volunteers. So I actually want to echo what you said, but thank you for being so kind and devoting your time over the years and supporting the association and most of all the profession. So uh, I, I do want to thank you because you mentioned that and I was going to throw that in a little later, but uh, because you started with that and your involvement, I just wanted to say, you know, it's remarkable what you've done with your time and how you've supported us. So thank you so much. With respect to your question, yeah, CPHR Canada, not many people know CPHR Canada because as you know, you know, more, most members uh, really only adhere, of course, as a member to the provincial association. But CPHR Canada is essentially a federation encompassing uh, nine provincial associations and territories who've become members of the federation. I call it a federation, you know, to work collaboratively to enhance the HR profession in Canada. So the National Association, which is CPHR Canada, is the owner of the trademark, that's CPHR, and uh, of course the old CHRP, uh, most people who have been members for a while would remember that, and also has the responsibility for creating the certification program, so essentially the pathway to become a designate CPHR. And naturally, they also produce the National Knowledge Exam, which is offered twice a year 
to, to members and students who want to get their designation. So the Canadian Association also supports the provinces in a number of endeavors, you know, specifically uh, national marketing, national advertising, and also providing national research that provinces can use. And is also a key conduit, uh, I'd say, the National Association towards the federal government for government and regulatory affairs. So that's really its main mission. But here too, I must say, uh, it's not a large group. It's not a large staff. It's really myself. And uh, I have some dedicated people who support me in Manitoba and in BC, um, you know, on, on, uh, on a go basis whenever we need them. But uh, really, we don't have a large group. Uh, and it's essentially driven with uh, the efforts of people coming together and working together. So Tony, you came, your origins were as an accountant, correct? Mm -hmm. Correct, yes. And how did you make that move from accounting to sort of the HR world? Yeah, so I I spent most of my career, uh, I'd say half of my career in the private sector, working for some fairly large companies. Uh, Northern Telecom was one, uh, no longer exists, of course, um, but uh, was one of the largest companies in Canada you know, maybe 30 years ago. And then I moved to a company called Avon Products and Avon Canada. And so I started in finance and then became their president and CEO at Avon. And then um, after 11 years there, I decided to move away from Quebec. And I was looking for opportunities in BC and moved to the accounting world and the accounting profession. So I, I, I worked there for about 11 years. And I was one of those, I guess, three architects, if you will, who shaped the national merger for accounting. Uh, you may remember there were three accounting designations uh, a while ago uh, in Canada, CA, CMA, CGA. And I was one of those individuals, along with my cohorts from the CMAs and the CAs, uh, to bring the three bodies together and create uh, what is now CPA. And so uh, once we merged, I was looking for new challenges and opportunities. Um, I didn't really want to move to Ontario and didn't want to continue on at that point. I had really spent 11 years and wanted new challenges. But I also wanted to spend more time doing board work, uh, which I've been very pleased to say I've been doing. And you know, at that time, I was looking for a position where I can continue to add value, but also uh, that would provide me an opportunity to do board work and sit on boards. And uh, CPHRBC came along, I guess, at the time, as you mentioned, Laurie, it was HRMA. Uh, they were looking for a new CEO. Uh, Simon Evans uh, was retiring. And so they, I, mean, I put in my, my name just because I worked for a profession before. And uh, when I looked at the profile they were looking for in terms of moving the organization forward, looking at self-regulation, trying to advance the interests of the profession, I thought I could bring about some experience. And also having worked in the private sector, I offered you know, some some experience that perhaps can help the organization. And I was interviewed and the board liked what I had to offer. And, off, you know, it kind of worked out that I could, you know, then they were supportive of me working on boards as well. So doing both, uh, I just naturally, you know, said, sure, that works for me if it works for you. And to be honest, I'm very pleased, um, you know, after it's been what, it's going to be seven years this year, if you can believe it, it passed that fast. And I'm very pleased with the strides we've made over the last uh, mm-hmm. several years, both at the BC level and Yukon, as well as the national level since I've arrived. So, you know, to me, uh, I'm very pleased that I've been able to add some value. Well, and I was able to be part of that recruitment process because I was on the board at that time. And just to see the advancement of our profession and the evolution under your leadership has been exceptional, Tony. And the part I'm really interested in is just to see how 
you know, we're really contributing to workplaces and governments, as you said, around uh, human resource practices. So can you share a little bit more about the briefing report that you co-authored recently about the economic response to COVID-19? What spurred you to write the report? Yeah, absolutely. Well, for me, you know, part of the responsibilities of a, of a profession, whether it's accounting or legal or and even HR, is really, you know, we need to protect the public interest, right? Not just serve our members. Uh, I'm really a big believer of that. And, and you know, not everyone, I guess, saw HR necessarily as a profession, perhaps those that are in it. But, you know, as we know, stakeholders and, and business leaders at times and even government leaders don't necessarily or haven't seen HR, I guess, as a profession. And for me, it was really important to take that role on and really take our space in that in that area. And, you know, for me, uh, the pitch that I had made to the board when I joined the organization was we, we need to be much more active, you know, with with uh, supporting you know our, our stakeholders, but working with government and and advising them wherever we can, and also that'll resonate with our members. They'll see that we're adding value you know to them and their and their work and what they do. And so when when we got into this pandemic, you know I knew there was more than just you know what the pandemic offered with respect to the health concerns. I mean everyone knew this was a terrible disease. It remains a terrible virus. But I also knew that you know we as a country are feeling the effects of it beyond just the the health piece. In other words, the, the safety issue of the virus. Uh, there are so many ramifications in it. And we can talk about mental health. We can talk about the ramifications on the society and people, you know, depression levels and people, you know, who, who sadly, you know, have fallen into drug dependency and so on and so forth. But I also knew from a financial standpoint that the country and, and the various provinces were really going to create a lot of debt in response to this crisis. And we weren't talking about that. And and so for me, it was important to have a look at, you know, how has Canada fared? How are our provinces, how have our provinces fared? And how good or bad have we done when we compare ourselves to the rest of the world? I thought this was really important to, to look into. And I also knew that, you know, some of these findings could help shape future government policy and also how any changes ultimately with government policy could actually affect our HR members because there's going to have an effect to that. So uh, for me, it was important to understand that data and bring that data to light. And that's kind of why we did it. Are there some key points you'd like to share with our listeners? I know the the report has two components to it. One is the um, economic responses. And you provide a really great overview of the Canadian and some international uh, responses to COVID. And then you have, of course, the survey of the CPHR members. But is there some key points on the economic responses you'd like to share with us? For sure. I, I'd say that from a pure economic response, you know, our members felt the Canadian government and the various provincial governments responded well in terms of dollars spent to address the issues, you know, stemming from the pandemic. Uh, but really, I think that's the no-brainer. I mean, I think everyone would say absolutely, you know, government threw money at this big time, right, provincially and federally. However, I, I'd say the offset to that is that, you know, when you look at how Canada is doing with respect to the money spent, you know, we actually own the unenviable distinction of being the high of having the highest increase in total debt to GDP ratio among the G20 and emerging economies. That is significant because what that means is that Canadians will have to pay the piper at some point in time. And that may essentially be a debt that's passed on to our children. And of course, no one wants that. But sadly, it may be inevitable. 
In fact, we've seen recent budgets put forth by you know provincial and federal governments. We had one, uh, both federal and provincial, last week, as as you may recall. All level, you know that that debt levels have now surpassed even World War II debt levels, and so this is a big reckoning that I think we will need to face. So it's important that these are not only highlighted to government, not that they're not aware that I think they are, but nobody wants to talk about it. Um, you know, the issue is what are we going to do about planning to ensure that this goes away in due course? And that is, I think, something that the government needs to be aware of. And and so, you know, the other part I also found really interesting from, from the report is that I found that our members, uh, because there were over a thousand members that participated in the survey and commented on, you know, as being part of the briefing report, they were quite strategic and creative in their responses. I, I really felt, you know, wow, they really understand the issues and what's been going on because some of the suggestions they made for government, you know, to, for example, look into uh, ways, you know, we can actually get out of, get out of this hole and more importantly, that we should avoid if ever something like this catastrophic event happens again. So, you know, they offered things like ensuring that we offer paid sick leave days to all employees. And you're seeing that's a big topic of discussion these days, right? In Ontario and BC, but especially supporting smaller organizations that don't have benefit plans, hmm. right? Uh, also, the disconnect, you know, we, we, we have heard very often, you know, we're all in this together, right? And, and I actually don't like that statement, to be honest with you, on a personal level, because we're really not on, all, you know, we might be in the same ocean, but some have yachts and some have, you know, rowboats, right? And, and so we're not really in it together. And not all Canadians, as an example, have internet and Wi-Fi, you know, and that is a must, you know, government needs to support you know, the population to make sure, especially in this connected world, like as we've gone through this for over a year, not everyone had the ability to work from home, right? And and uh, as technology has evolved, so that's a must. And so we really need to set up, you know, a better, I guess, horizon to be able to deal with future pandemics and, and also how we deal with, with issues in the health sector. I mean, and senior residences. Uh, one thing that this pandemic has shown us is that we're not well equipped. You know, the, the you know, the issues we're having with you know, ICUs and hospitals is because our healthcare system is perhaps not up to snuff, and especially in some provinces. And I can definitely speak about Quebec, where I came from. That is a real problem, a bigger problem than probably the rest of the country. Governments need to deal with this. And I think this highlighted that. And our members, you know, spoke to this. So I really, I really valued that input, if you will. Yeah, I think this is the first time, certainly that I can recall in my career, that there was really the impetus to for HR professionals. And uh, I think we really rose to the challenge that faced uh, workforces and layoffs and the, you know, policy decisions and so on that were happening and, and the support we we could provide. Can you share a little bit more about how this pandemic not only affects businesses, but how HR can support businesses going forward and our role as HR professionals. For sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, for, 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 for me, one of the things that was also illustrated in the report, obviously we talked a little bit, or I mentioned the financial implications, but the financial implications and the debt and so on will have an, an, an ultimate impact on businesses. And of course, you know, when it has an impact on businesses, whether it's because there then has to be closures, layoffs, or even hiring if business is good, that'll impact human resources, right? Our, our, our members, if you will. And so it's really, really important to make sure that when we realize that that there will be ultimate effects on HR coming from the financial implications and the debt levels that we have, this is critical that we really begin to, to look forward and how do we plan uh, against this? Because, 
you know, government programs is an example, right, that have been laid out uh, over the last year, and they've been very favorable to many uh, people who are not working. These will, these will run out, right? And, and of course, the effects of the pandemic will still be here uh, long after the programs run out. So this, this, and, and some of that is fear. Some of that is people not wanting to be vaccinated, rules around return to work and dealing with stress and mental illness. So with all these issues, right, that our members will have to deal with and HR will have to deal with, it's really, really important that we get ahead of this and be prepared because it's it's not that the pandemic's going to go away uh, once everyone's vaccinated. We're still going to be dealing with this down the road for many, many uh, probably several years to come. And, and of course, I mentioned the term, you know, paying the piper, there'll probably be an increase in taxes uh, to pay off these deficits, right? Various governments, be it income taxes or sales taxes. And that may mean additional burden on some companies, which may drive some companies out of business or force them to curtail investment. And when they curtail investment, it means curtailing hiring. So again, when you look at future employment and growth prospects, this could be a challenge for HR. So I think that th th these are the early warning signs that we really need to be ahead of it and also ask government to be aware that we need continuous stimulus programs, you know, to support businesses and to support employment. Uh, otherwise, we're really going to struggle getting out of this hole. So th that is how I see, I guess, the interrelationships, if you will, between what we've uh, seen as findings and how it's affected business and ultimately how HR will need to respond. So, Tony, do you think there would be anything else that would come out today? The, the survey of the CPTR members was done back in the fall. And, um, you know, it, but they were talking about the decreased revenues and increased cost operations and challenges in recruiting and staffing, as you've touched upon. Do you think any of the findings would be different today if the survey was done now? Well, you know, to be honest, I, I didn't think, uh, you know, any of the findings were surprising when the report was done, right? Uh, but I do think that if it was run today, that might change. <laughs> and particularly since I think we continue to not necessarily see an end in sight with the various lockdowns, you know, being on and off again uh, across various provinces in Canada, if I'm going to talk about Canada wide, right? I think there's a, yes, everyone's talked about pandemic fatigue, but um, I think it's more than that. I, I personally believe that while we were talking, you know, at the beginning of the year about the light at the end of the tunnel, you know, this tunnel is extremely long <laughs> and with no finite end. Uh, and I think the public is really, um, you know, into this major pandemic fatigue. I like to use the analogy, for example, like a, a marathon runner, you know, running a marathon race. You know, you can condition yourself to run 25K, right? However, after 20K, if we add another 5K, and then after that, we add another 7, and then we add another 10, uh, the runner will become exhausted, right? They'll just fall out of exhaustion. And I think that's what many Canadians are, are now seeing, uh, that we may not have a clear plan out of this other than hoping vaccines do the job. You know, but even here, it would be great if government or the chief medical officers, who, who in my view, have larger responsibilities than just talking about uh, the virus, you know, would at least state that once people became vaccinated, they would open things up, become more liberal, including an ability to travel, etc. You know, to me, you know, what I'm hearing from, sadly, the politicians and some of the medical officers is that we still need to see if there's no transmission with the vaccines. Well, to me, I, I don't think that demonstrates a lot of leadership because that's not what people want to hear. Right. Because then that creates even more doubt in people's minds, because I've heard people say, you know, on blogs, well, then why are we taking the vaccine if it's not clear that the vaccines will do the job? 
And of course, that's not what we want to hear. So if we compare, for example, the United States, who was, who was, I guess, the laughing stock of the world about a year ago in, in the handling of this pandemic, they're now seeing, they're probably the envy of the world now in terms of how, you know, they're, they're, uh, moving forward, not only because the vaccines are successful, but they're also communicating much more positive messages, right? About mask wearing, seeing each other, opening up cities, opening up venues, uh, you know, like concerts and, 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 and events to, to, to people, even though they might have to be socially distanced or wear masks. But at least there's an array of hope that things are getting back sooner rather than later. I think that's what's missing in Canada. And I think the probably the survey might point that out. Um, because I think when this survey was done, it you know, in December, people were all hopeful, you know, once the year rolled out or turned the page, so to speak, flicked the number to, from 20 to 21, you know, things would change. But in fact, things have gotten worse, right, in Canada anyway. And so, and, and much of the world, let's, let's face it. And so that I think is, is what is really needed for people right now is, is a self of um, reassurance and, and not just a promise that, you know, it's going to turn around someday. You know, people are just need to have that assurance that it will come sooner rather than later. And I think, uh, you know, I think any, any further studies would probably point that out, a level of frustration that maybe government, um, you know, hasn't done a, a great job at this stage. And, and you could see it, I think, in some of the polling that, you know, around Canada and, you know, how leaders are perceived, right? Uh, I think from what I read recently, John Horgan was probably the highest rated premier in Canada right now. And even his numbers are under 50%. So, you know, it speaks volumes about the trust that people have right now on our leaders. And I think they could easily turn that around with some positive messaging. Yeah, it's it's definitely a difficult job that they have. But I think what I'm experiencing, um, I think probably personally, as well as talking to others, is just, like you said, it is a marathon. And just when you think you're turning the corner or there's a light at the end of the tunnel, it's like, okay, but we're not quite there. So there's another extension. And when you, I've been thinking and reflecting on, you know, for most employees and individuals, it it's going to come up to two years before they've had a true vacation or time off. And the mental health that we're talking about now, not only due to the pandemic, it was one of our priorities as HR practitioners prior to the pandemic, because we've seen it rising and rising in workplaces. Now, you know, it's it's probably the number one concern for organizations. What are your thoughts on how organizations maybe can address important issues such as mental health at this time? Yeah, absolutely, Lisa. You know, I think what this pandemic has shown is that we are all, you know, fragile human beings and, and mental illness is something we need to take very serious. Um, you know, for me, organizations need to spend time investing in their people and ensuring that we support our people. And then that includes having employee uh, assistance programs and ensuring that there's continued dialogue with individuals to make sure, you know, if they need help, they can reach out. You know, we can't keep this in the background anymore. You know, I think a week ago I saw a study that showed that within Canada, 50% of Canadians are within $200 of insolvency. I mean, that is a real scary thought for a lot of people. That means, you know, what's going to happen next week? And if this pandemic continues, you know, another several months, what's that going to mean for many Canadians? And so we as employers, especially if we, you know, we're, we usually don't talk about things like that. And you can imagine how, you know, the anguish that, people are feeling right with that if that's the case people are on the verge of bankruptcy or don't know if they can meet their you know their payments with respect to their mortgages or you know debt levels uh, car, car loans or credit card 
uh, payments, etc. I mean, the the effect that contributes to the mental illness piece. They just they don't sleep nights. They're not. They're worrying about what they're going to do. Can they put food on the table? So I think we as employers, it would be great, and and as HR leaders, need to continue to connect with people and ensure if they need help, they can reach out. Many organizations do offer you know employee employee assistance programs, and some even offer financial counseling. And I think it's really important to make sure we have a dialogue, an open dialogue. Not everyone wants to talk about money. I hear that, but it, it's not only about money it's many issues but i think ensuring that people have a way to express if they have problems or issues that they can do so to try to get help would go a long way uh, because as you say and as you note you know this this pandemic the longer it lasts um the more and more uh, chaos it's causing on people at home and not only not which ultimately will affect work but especially at home and our and our economies and our societies so we need to be very very aware of this what sort of things do you think, Tony, would stay in place and that may help businesses, small and large, continue to be sustainable and weather these types of storms? And here I'm referring to things like uh, flexible work schedules and working from home, you know, things that really came into place during the pandemic, more so than it had previously. Do you see those things helping businesses in the long run? I do, yeah. I, I do definitely see the post-pandemic workforce um, you know, essentially being one that's much more liberal, you know, meaning that employees will expect an ability to work from home and also to be protected when doing so. In many organizations prior to the pandemic, it might have been chastised or looked upon or frowned upon to say, oh, I work from home two days a week. Yeah, sure. Do you really work? Are you really productive? But I think organizations have actually seen that productivity can remain very, very high, even if people are not working in an office, right? And and, and essentially we have fast track the idea of flexible hours and remote working that's here to stay you know definitely here to stay um but at the same time you know the pendulum hasn't swung completely meaning you know we are all human beings we all need that human interaction and connectivity we also grow by connecting and bouncing ideas off each other so the ability to still get together is going to be essential so i know at the beginning of the pandemic everyone said well i think offices might close People won't need to see each other anymore or go to the office. I don't think that's true. I think so many organizations feed off each other by getting together and meeting and using, you know, a, a board to express ideas and so on. I know we've done so with Zoom and, and various mediums as well, uh, Microsoft Teams, etc. But as we all know, people are getting fatigued by that as well. So I think there's some type of hybrid and balance. And you've heard these terms before from others, I'm sure. Uh, but I do see that as not only an expectation, but employers also being very supportive to offer that to to their employees. Mm -hmm. I think too, as I think about the the positive impacts, I guess, of the pandemic, it has provided certainly, you know, we've talked about globalization and for for years now, but I think it really reintroduced or reinforced how global we really are. And now with remote work being more acceptable, I think that really expands the global gig economy. People can work for multiple people um, across borders to a level they they've never have before. What are your thoughts on the global mindset and the flexibility and expectations needed? Yeah, I completely agree. I think what we've seen around the world, and in fact, many organizations now, even for recruiting purposes, Lisa, are, are not only looking at their home base for recruiting. You know, in the past, because you had your head office in a certain area, or let's let's talk about some of the high tech giants, whether it be Google, you know, in in, in San Francisco, 
or you know Palo Alto or for example Microsoft in Seattle they're now recruiting people remotely anywhere in the world you know because they've seen that they can actually do that where prior you know tax might have been an issue it's no longer an issue so I think that's what this has you know definitely proven that you can get talented people globally and you know really to shape you know, organizations and future organizations and, and, and really enhance diversity. So I think that's the plus that came out of this, you know, for organizations and people and also HR, you know, when recruiting, right? It's, it's, you're not just limited to what you have in your local market necessarily, especially, you know, being able to connect remotely. Tony, I love how you end the briefing notes report on such a positive note. And I'm going to quote you now. Um, you said, in a post-pandemic world, HR professionals will continue to play a leadership role in building prosperous, secure, inclusive, and sustainable businesses. There will never be a better time to be HR professionals than now, and their best days are yet to come. And I just want to know, where do I sign up for that? <laughs> well, you know, Lori, I, I think what one thing that this pandemic has taught us is that we do need to be prepared, right, with, you know, not only disaster recovery plans, but severe event planning, uh, because there's been no playbook uh, in the past for such an event. Yes, we've had pandemics 100 years ago, but no one wrote a playbook about the next, you know, pandemic 100, year later, 100 years later and this is how you deal with it. And of course, the environments are so different. But I think what it shows us is that we, you know, need to be prepared and HR can definitely lead the way in shaping how organizations are prepared, especially to pivot, right? If, if we hear some of the major success stories about organizations and what they've done, they've been able to flip on a dime and adapt really with their employees, with their, which is, which is essentially human capital, right? And utilize that human capital, ensure that they're, they remain motivated, that the culture of an organization is preserved, that productivity remains, and also to be able to weather the storm, whatever, however long it is. And trust me, it's long right now for many organizations, but making sure that people remain motivated and, you know, supportive of one another, because, you know, we need each other because, you know, it's not, you know, one of the things that I've been saying of late, for example, is yes, the U.S. is doing well and Canada may be on that path, but, you know, the world will only be better when everyone's better. So what's happening in India and Brazil is a big concern and it should be a big concern, right? Because if they don't get better, we won't get better at the end of the day because it's a global problem. And so, um, you know, that to me fits in well with the human resource element because it's about people, you know, and, and we've used the term before, we are all human resources. We are, right? We're all people, but we're all human people and human human individuals. So uh, I think what this pandemic has offered us as a profession is an ability to lead. For years, we've been saying, you know, we deserve to be at the table, right? We are visionary, we are strategic, we can, we can help shape the future. We've demonstrated that this past year, you know, none more than ever. And, and I've seen it even with our membership, you know, in British Columbia and Yukon, you know, our membership has, has risen uh, significantly uh, over the last several years. I, I'd say we'd have, a, we'd, we'd probably have averaged a compounded annual growth rate of about six to 7%. So when I started seven years ago, Lisa, you'll remember you were on the board. We were at 4,500 members and this year we hit 7,000 members which I'm really proud of because it means that people have flocked to our profession and what we've been able to offer and what we've been able to do. And they've seen that they are contributing 
to organizations and economies and society in the roles they play. And HR today is truly seen as a major player. And I think that's what I'm most proud of to be able to, you know, say I belong. As you know, I'm a member. I'm a CPHR myself. Uh, I took the exam a few years ago, and I'm proud to to wear, you know, the designation and and you know carry the torch, so to speak, because I think we can influence not only the profession but also economies and societies. And uh, so those words, how we ended the report, Laurie, I think you know really hold true for me as well. I love that because I I feel like we could probably sit and chat and we might need a part two at some point. But (laughs) I I do believe, you know, out of difficult situations, positive things do come. And certainly HR practitioners and not just HR practitioners, but leaders have really uh, rose to the challenge and identified challenges that we've never seen before and learned to overcome those and create more resilience. But also, I think the other piece that's been, I think, really exciting for me is to see the compassion and the empathy and that leadership really focused on human beings and their people, uh, not just as, you know, the people that get their work done every day, but as actual humans and actually caring for them through difficult times. I think we're going to see more of that. I think our role is to help facilitate a real compassionate organization where we are investing in our people, as you said, having lots of dialogue, talking about mental health, really creating human connection again. So, really exciting time. And we're very thankful to have you with us today, Tony. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Uh, Hopefully that was helpful. But yes, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I think if anything has been positive, it's been that, that, you know, and and I've really been, you know, uh, involved into my work this past year, because as you said, you know, we really haven't taken much downtime to travel or, or have a vacation. So I've been wrapped up in my work, but I've enjoyed my work. And it's, you know, I'm very fortunate to be be employed and be able to create something of value to our members and, and the profession and the association. So it's, uh, at least there's been that upside <laughs> uh, to this pandemic, uh, if anything. Well, we're very fortunate to have you and CPHR as a resource for us, Tony. And um, Thank you, Laura. That's very nice of you to say. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And we'd also like to thank Andrew Skopenko, our team member and master of technical support, who makes this all happen for us. And additional thanks to Elizabeth Leston for our podcast promotion and Jeremy Rokoff for our theme music. Until next time. <laughs>